Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. All right, good morning, 1045 service. I am so excited to be with you. We have got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Thank you, friends, for bringing out this clock. It is a stage prop, not something for you to time me with this morning. Can we agree upon that right now, first and foremost? Hey, we are jumping into a message that I believe is so much for me this morning, that God had ordained for me. It's also a message for those of you who are looking for a new relationship with time, a new relationship with the demands and the busyness on their lives. It's ironic that God would have me kind of dig into some scripture and a message on the practice of rest just a few few days and weeks before my wife will give birth to our baby son, uh, which is exciting and also feels like I'm on the cliff of the least amount of rest in my whole life. And so this message, like I said, is, is deeply for me as well. Hey, I'm going to just start us off in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. It says this, the prophet Isaiah says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning in rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Is this beautiful picture of the power of, of rest in our lives. Uh, and if I was to be honest with you guys, I, my mind instantly goes to a really low moment in my life. About nine years ago, I was a pastor in the Bay Area, a little town called Danville, and uh, life was full. And I think you guys can relate. You, you have some full lives in this room. And I was working full-time in ministry. I was uh, going to seminary. I was commuting to seminary two uh, classes per quarter. Three would be full-time. So I was doing two per quarter. My wife was also getting her master's while working full-time. Uh, I had just taken on some more responsibilities at church on the Saturday night service. So there goes another night of my week, a little bit more of my, my brain. And uh, I was just on empty a little bit. And so here I am. It's another one of those seminary class nights. I'm commuting to Menlo Park, which is right beyond Facebook's headquarters. I'd always drive by the little thumbs up and thumbs it up back. And uh, now it's called Meta. That's a whole story for another day. And uh, I'm driving to class this one night. And uh, I'll be honest with you guys. I was, I was tired. Um, I, I wasn't thinking clearly. I was not myself. Uh, at least I'd like to think I wasn't myself. And here I am driving on this little back road. And I watched as two cars collided in front of me. And I watched as this accident take place. And maybe, maybe you've witnessed that before. And part of me kind of froze up. Um, I brought my car down to a, a slower speed. And I put my window down halfway. And I began to mouth to the person, are you OK? Like, right? And his airbag was deployed in front of him, all right? And this is where I'm just, there's some embarrassment. Um, I kept at that slow speed, are you okay? And I kind of glanced out of the corner of my eye, I saw some other cars pulling over, and I thought, maybe they're more qualified. And I just kind of kept going. And I drove right by the accident. Why? Because I wanted to be on time to seminary. And so I make my way to class. I come in. It's a New Testament class. And, and, I, and I, for the first 15 minutes, I'm not even listening to the professor my mind is just imagining this story in the New Testament of the Good Samaritan in this story where people pass by this person. And I can swear to you to this day, I think maybe the professor was teaching on that. Regardless, it was going through my mind on replay and guilt was just like bubbling up within me. Who are you, Dave? 
You just drove right by this accident. So I, I raised my hand in class 15 minutes in. I'm like, hey, I need a little time of confession. And I was like, what? And I'm like, hey, I, I got to share with you guys what happened on my way to class. There was this whole accident. And I, I didn't stop. And I, I was too concerned about being on time and just rushing, rushing, rushing to be here. And the class's jaws just dropped. And they were like terrible pastoral counselors in that moment. They had nothing good to say to comfort me. They just left me there to feel that pain. And I owned it. And uh, it was one of those low moments. And I'd like to tell you that I just like instantly had a 180. And I figured out how to slow my pace of life from that moment forward. But honestly, guys, it's been like a very slow work in progress to this day. I think of this moment because I realize now I'm addicted to busyness. Maybe you can relate. I'm addicted to just moving through with a restlessness within my, within my soul. And I think all of us maybe would say we have a, 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 an interesting relationship with this idea of, of time, right? I mean, we've only got so much time a day. We got 24 hours and we spend like a good chunk of it sleeping and another good chunk of it at work, right? And then you spend another chunk of it like, you know, eating your meals, probably spend more time cooking those meals, uh, spend more time like cleaning up the dishes. And then you've got time demands on kids. And some of you are like professional chauffeurs and like you should just be a taxi driver for your living, it feels like. And, and then we've got all these, you know, there's got emails to keep up with. And then you got oil changes like Life takes a lot of work when you get home from work. And then social media, right? The black hole of time. We don't know where it goes. And, and then you just, it just keeps building in relationships and family, right? We have a very limited amount of time and it, it feels like it's constantly fleeting. And we have expressions, don't we? Like, wow, time flies. Where did time? We are out of? What a waste of time. Hurry. You guys were slow on that one. Hurry up. Let's go. Come on. Husbands, you're like, I don't say that anymore to my, in my household. <laughs> I've given up. Not enough time in the day. We've got all these expressions for time. I think we have, uh, we've kind of began to view time as the enemy in our lives. And for students in the room, I don't know how you do it. You have, uh, on an any average case, five classes. That's like five different bosses. You have uh, a full day at school. And just when they thought that wasn't enough, they all individually give you homework assignments to take home with you. But before you can ever get to your homework, what do you got sports? Because every parent, and rightfully so, thinks a sport is a healthy thing for your life. And so there goes two hours to your sport. And you get home and the parents are like, hey, why don't we spend any time together every year? You never talk to me. And you're like, I just got done with the sport you wanted me to do. And now I got homework. I'm I don't know who's, someone's got to lose. And then from a young age, socialization is really important. And so we want you to have friends and parents pray for friends until your friends get more time than they get. And I don't know how you fit all this in. And then right when it couldn't get any more challenging, your parents are like, hey, you know, a part-time job would be some good responsibility. And you're like, and you're like are you kidding me? Can we cut some students some breaks, friends? I think their lives are 10 times more complicated than ours. And now look, here's the deal. Let me just go to the other far end of the spectrum. There are some of you in this room, you are in that grandparent stage of life. And you're thinking, we're talking about rest and time. I could leave right now. I, I don't need this message. But the reality is this. When you move into a season of retirement, you also have a, 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 a hard relationship with time, right? Because you begin to yearn for your kids or your grandkids to come visit you. Like the expression is, why don't they ever want to come spend time with me? Why don't they ever call me? And when you get into that kind of grandparent stage of life, you begin to realize, man, I probably put a lot more value maybe in my job or my work 
than I did in some of my relationships. And so now you have a, a crisis of time. How do I spend my time in, in more meaningful ways? And you're adjusting to this idea that I'm home a lot and so is my spouse. And how do we share this house? People talk about downsizing. and I want to upsize. I mean, we need some space. And then the irony is most retired people I talk to at some point give me this expression, Dave, I'm so busy now. I don't know how I ever had time for a job. And they legitimately are processing their relationships still with time. I think we're addicted to busyness. And so the title of today is The Practice of Rest, Moving from a State of Restlessness to Rest. And we're going to look at some really important biblical concepts for this. And I'll just say this. Uh, this has been probably one of the most uh, important messages that I've ever prepared for, uh, for me personally. It's been both convicting and eye-opening. I've read scriptures in a new way that have kind of just fallen into my life on maybe more fertile soil than ever before. And I, my prayer, personally, is that you would experience just a fraction of that. Because for whatever reason, for so many years, I've read and studied these things, and I've failed to step into them in a very practical or personal way. I've tempered the idea that I do okay with rest by lying to myself, by saying, no, I take weekends. Uh, I, I take time off, and I, I don't respond to emails past five o'clock. My wife would tell you, though, I'm definitely looking at those emails and thinking about those emails and those projects. And I'm doing everything within me to restrain from, from physically doing the work. But internally, I am working nonstop. It's challenging when you love what you do. And that's a good problem. It's one I pray for, for many of us who maybe don't like what we do. But work can be such a, a challenging thing for us to escape from in the presence of rest. And so over these last few weeks, God's really challenged me in a really unique way. And so I want to invite us to maybe discover a new relationship with God's invitation for rest this morning. We'll talk about what it's not, but more importantly, we'll talk about what it can look like in our lives. And so here's the overview. We're going to uh, cover a few brief scriptures. Are you guys ready for this with me? We're going to start in, in uh, Genesis with an example. We're going to move to Exodus and we're going to look at some instruction. We're going to go to Deuteronomy. We're going to receive a warning. And then we're going to land in Mark with a refinement that Jesus brings. It's like the cherry on top. And that's the most important ingredient to the whole picture of what biblical rest looks like. Hey, benefits of this topic. Look, I, we don't have to spend much time on it. You and I agree that like we know that rest is a good idea in our lives. It increases creativity, productivity, focus, gives us the ability to better resist temptations in our life and to protect our character in the ways that we desire to protect it. It, it helps us to actually be at our best for our, our occupations, to be at our best for our most important relationships, to be at our best for our, our kids. And so this morning, like, there is beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is important. But any of those reasons, I, I'll say this, don't even scratch the surface of the deepest benefits of what we're going to unpack this morning. And it's my prayer that you guys would discover that with me right here, right now. So we're going to start in the book of Genesis. Isn't that fitting? We're going to start in the beginning where it all began. And we're going to start in chapter 2. In the Lord, it's the narrative of God's creation over the world. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. And it says this, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. 
Uh, the Hebrew word, the original word for rested, we'll pull this up on the next screen so you guys can get a, a glimpse of what it looks like, is this word Shabbat. And that's, that's kind of the look of it. And, and Shabbat broken down means to rest, cease. Ooh, it gets a little bit more pointed. Stop. We, oh, we, we don't know how to stop. We just roll right through stop signs today. So don't, don't use that word. But more importantly, I love this word. It's to celebrate. We often think about like rest as like a list of things we shouldn't do. But friends, like we've been maybe, maybe like me going about it a little bit wrong. It's an invitation, Shabbat, to celebrate. And Shabbat is where now the word this morning enters in that maybe you're familiar with. If you've been around church a few times, it's that word Sabbath. Can you guys say Sabbath with me right now? Sabbath. We're going to be unpacking this idea of Sabbath rest this morning. Okay. The narrative continues in verse three. We'll pull that up right here. It says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right. I have for so many years kind of blown beyond these words and I've failed to maybe recognize the depth of them. Uh, blessed and holy. Let's go to the next screen. We'll unpack blessed. It's this word Barak in Hebrew and it's blessed, filled with strength, full and praised. God is saying the seventh day is to be blessed, full of praise. But then he continues on. He uses, he uses this word kadosh, which is this word for holy. It's removed from common use. It's subject to special treatment. You know, it's really interesting. It's the first word this, this word kadosh shows up in scriptures. It's the first to market word, which means from this point forward, it will have the lion's share on defining what exactly is to be declared as holy. What is it that God is declaring as blessed and holy? He's declaring time, the seventh day, as blessed and holy. Uh, all throughout Europe, maybe you've been to them in the United States as well, we've got these beautiful cathedrals. And if you've ever walked in, we all do the same thing. You walk in, you look up, right? And you just are a marvel at the grandiose of the marble and the archways and the attention to detail, the stained glass window, the, the, the teak wood. I mean, just the whole nine yards of a cathedral is beautiful and it's meant to be this awe-inspiring place, this representation of a holy and, and grandeur of God. And they are. But I really think that Sabbath time is to be our modern day cathedrals. From old to today, I think that Sabbath time is what was blessed. God didn't build on the seventh day a cathedral. He didn't build a, an important monument. What did he bless and declare for the first time as holy? He declared time as holy. And so today I know that we struggle. We struggle to even gather in holy places like a church or just gather in a cathedral. Today's day and age, right? Sports and practices and games are happening on Sunday and we don't want to be a bad parent. And then we've got like the, 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 the lure of, man, NFL is on Sunday morning sometimes and I am a diehard fan. Christ has called me to that, right? So we have a hard time making it to physical gatherings often. We also have an even harder time though, stepping into the holiness of time on our own at any point and anywhere. The way that devices keep us connected, if, we, if it's not our phone, it's our watch. If it's not our watch, it's Alexa reminding us about something we didn't know we needed to be reminded about. It is so difficult for us to disconnect from the easeability and the electronicness of life and the streamingness of platforms. And it's so hard for us to, to experience Sabbath rest. And so here it is, God does creation, and the narrative continues. 
And uh, pretty soon thereafter in the book of Genesis, man and woman, uh, they disobey God and they, they turn their backs on him in a slight moment. And that's where this word sin enters the picture. And you and I would have done the exact same thing. Sin enters the picture and it, what, it makes us captive to our choices and captive to sin. And so there becomes this, this subtle separation that grows between us and God. And it starts to reveal this need for God's grace, which God is such a gracious God. And the story would continue all through Genesis and lead to this group of people in the next book called the Israelites. Now, the Israelites are in literal captivity in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. And maybe you've seen the movie or sung the song, that Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Okay, um, that's an old school reference. Not one gets that. That's good. Just me. Uh, and uh, thank you right there. Uh, and so here they are. They're in slavery. And God rescues them from slavery and takes them into this wandering desert. He's leading them towards the promised land. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in this moment where Moses is their leader. And he's, he's, he's the, he is the leader. He is the guy. And he's got them out in the wilderness. And God's got some instruction for them. And so he invites Moses to come scale Mount Sinai. And so Moses throws on his REI gear, gets his axe, a little beard oil. He wants to look good for this journey. All the Israelites, Israelites like, you go summit that mountain, man. And he's like, I'm going to go meet with the Lord. And so he gets up there, he meets with the Lord. And God has these things called the Ten Commandments. And so Moses kind of records them on a tablet, not the digital tablet, the physical, the original tablet, the physical tablet. And uh, he comes back down the mountain. And in Exodus chapter 20, he begins to share these commandments with the people. And, and, and he says this in verse 8. He's going through them. It's like speech time. And he says to the people, this is the fourth commandment. It's a message from God, friends. It's a message to us. It says, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. He delivers, delivers this instruction to the people. God is leading us from captivity to freedom. This is the principle. God leads us from captivity to freedom. God is giving a message to the Israelites for the first time. He goes, guess what, guys? You're no longer captives to Egypt. You're free now. And so this is a line in the sand moment. He goes, you know what? You don't have to keep working 24-7. On the seventh day, I want you to follow my example from creation, and I want you to have rest for your souls. So Israelites, stop moving throughout the desert on this seventh day. Stop working so hard. Stop collecting food. In fact, he gives them the manna principle. He gives them double manna the day prior to the Sabbath day. He goes, I'm going to give you more than enough food. Just sit back, relax, turn on the TV. Don't have tensions. Don't go starting arguments and talk. Just save that for the next day. Today, you rest. And in many ways, it's a line in the sand for us as well today. It's a, it's a reminder to say, hey, what would it look like for you and I just to cease? to stop and to celebrate God and to not work on another project, to not have another you know, discussion about how, how do we climb this ladder or accomplish this next project in our lives? How do we just let go? And I'll say this, I think we, well, I'll tell you me, I, I've thought in my life I'd do a good job of letting go. And it's like, I got this pen here and no, no magic tricks. The sleeves are not trick, right? And um, 
I thought for most of my life that I'd do a good job letting go. And I just, I've got something in my hand and God convicts me like, okay, God, I'm, I'm letting go. And then my posture opens up. Maybe you can relate. And you go, God, see, here we are. It's whatever you want, Lord, I offer it before you. And I'm, I think we come close. I think I've come close for a lot of my life, but until recently, I think I'm starting to realize that maybe the picture of letting go is to go a little bit further. Why? Because I'm still holding on to the thing I thought I was letting go of with my open hands. It's still right there. And so maybe the picture of letting go for you and I is more like that, where we actually release the things from us that maybe God say, hey, would you release this right now? Would you release those, those worries and those concerns in your life? Would you consider Sabbath rest for your soul? So we're on this desert journey with the Israelites for 40 years, and like you and I, they struggled with obedience to God. And even after getting these instructions from Moses that Moses brought down from God, they found themselves in a state of disobedience, and that's actually what the Ten Commandments were. They were both to help people know what it would look like to follow after God, which we're thankful for, but they were also to be a mirror, to reflect to us oh my gosh, I can't do it on my own. I actually can't. I will fall. I will choose my own ways at certain moments. I will disobey God and I'm going to need God's grace and forgiveness in my life. That's what the gift of the Ten Commandments gave to you and I in this moment. And so they find themselves in a state of, of disobedience and on Moses' deathbed, we're going to turn to Exodus and he's, he's giving them a speech because that's what we do, right? We reach the end of our lives. We, we want to start repeating ourselves a little bit. And uh, he gets to this, this spot in, in Exodus where he's repeating some of the commandments, but he's adding to them now. He's elongating on them after watching how the people have struggled to keep them. And so I kind of put them side by side here from, I, I realize you probably can't read it too well, but I want you to see that he's almost doubled this fourth commandment. And by the way, the fourth commandment that he originally gives in Genesis is the longest commandment God gave to us. Of all the commandments, the, long, the one that they spent the most time chiseling away was this invitation to rest. And in the end of Deuteronomy, after Moses has watched their struggle with faithfulness and their struggle with captivity, he doesn't start off like he did in Exodus with remember the Sabbath day. Now he says, hey, let's get straight to it. Would you keep the Sabbath day? And he goes on to say, you shall perform no labor, neither you, your sons, your daughters, your, your manservant, your maidservants. And he kind of expands upon the idea of beast. He goes, your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock. And I think we're doing okay with that, right? If you're making your dog work on the Sabbath, we'll, we'll talk afterwards. He goes, nor the strangers who are within your cities. In order that your manservant and your maidservant may rest like you. And this is where he kind of brings in a different angle. Moses says, and you shall remember that you were a slave, a captive in the land of Egypt. And, the, and that the Lord your God took you out from there with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Friends, God, God had some, some addition to add to this commandment. You see, in, in Exodus, this commandment was rooted in the creation, in God's example. But now in Deuteronomy, it's rooted in our escape. It's remembering the escape we had from slavery. In Exodus, it was, we rest because God rested. But now in Deuteronomy, it's, we rest as an act of defiance against captivity, against Egypt. In Exodus, it's, we rest as a way of saying yes to God. And we still do. But now furthermore, in Deuteronomy, it says, hey, you also rest by saying, it's a way of saying no to the things that hold us captive. 
In Exodus, it was a way of saying, of joining God's delight. And now it's a way of, it's a warning to avoid Egypt's way of life. You might say it's kind of ludicrous that Moses would have to warn the Israelites, warn them, hey, don't stop returning to slavery. Stop returning to these thoughts of captivity. And that's exactly what was taking place and he was observing it. And for you and I, you go, yeah, that, that's ridiculous. I would, never, I would never do that, but my own heart does this, right? The things that I know hold me captive from the best version of the self I can give to God are the very things that we often return to and struggle returning to. I don't know what holds us captive. I think it's different for different people in this room. Maybe it's a need for control that holds us captive to never ceasing, to never stopping. Maybe it's our, our need to keep up with other people. Maybe it's our need to please other people around us. Maybe we're, we're being fueled to never cease striving because of some of the regrets and secrets in our past. And they're having an ill effect on our present and future and the way that we live our lives and the health that God calls us to live our lives. God's leading us from captivity to the freedom that he did with the Israelites. And he does that through Sabbath rest. It's freedom. So it's out of this tension in the Old Testament where they've recognized their struggle to, to listen and to obey these commandments, God's hopes for their life, that the Jewish people begin to create all these rules surrounding the commandments. Why? Because they're like, well, if we, don't, if we don't break this rule, I'll never break this rule. In fact, if you go to Israel today, uh, there's an Old Testament passage that says, hey, don't even start a fire on the Sabbath. And so today, the, that's interpreted in Israel as don't even cause a spark. Don't don't push an elevator button that causes a spark to ignite. And so they have what's called Shabbat elevators in Israel. To this day, I remember riding one. And you get in and you are just going to, you better not be in a rush because it's going to hit every floor of that building and open up for you. You don't push any buttons, right? I just want to be clear. That wasn't God's idea. That was humanity's idea to put a fence around the Ten Commandments. And so you often hear people say, oh, religion is just a bunch, of, a bunch of rules. That's where this comes from. And while rules were resurrected, by a population to try to protect us from these hopes. So they didn't have ill intent. They were trying to do something. So it's like today when you see a cliff somewhere, you'll see a sign that says warning about the cliff. And then we'll, yeah, here we go. And then we'll often put up a, a fence, right? Like warning cliff could die. Fence, right? and like everybody is like, yep, yeah, don't read that. Just jump over that. Get a good view, right? That's what the Jews, Jewish people were doing. They were putting up walls around these commandments. But something had to change because they were missing what Sabbath was and the invitation, the, the heartbeat of the invitation. So Jesus comes on the scene and he's got something to say about it. We're going to flip to Mark chapter two and we're going to look at chapter two and, and, and chapter three if you've got a Bible with me. And we're in this moment where Jesus has got his disciples and he's traveling through a field one day and they're traveling right behind him. And the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the rule keepers, the referees, were following behind, like imagine like in a minivan, like a news crew following a politician, right? Like they're just waiting to catch them do something wrong. And sure enough, the disciples begin to pick little pieces of corn and eat. And at that moment, the Pharisees kind of swarm the scene and they go, excuse me, Mr. Jesus, uh, what, what's going on here? You guys are breaking the Sabbath law of work. You're, you're tending to a field right now by eating. 
And Jesus is like, okay, I knew this was coming. I saw you guys out of the corner of my eye. He's like, let me give you, just, let me just, okay, here we go. He walks him through some Old Testament examples. He's got a few stories for him. And then he goes, but disregard that. Let me tell you something even more important. It says in verse 27, and then Jesus said to them, and there, this is like, a, this is a feud, okay? He looks him in the eye and he goes this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a gift for humanity, not man to be judged against the Sabbath. It's this beautiful moment where Jesus is, is tearing apart the law that they have been so concerned about. And then, you know, they kind of back away. There's some tension in the room. And he continues on, same day. He goes, disciples, let's give them something to really complain about at home tonight. So they walk into a synagogue. And uh, they're in the synagogue and all the eyes are on Jesus because he's becoming the, the kind of the hot commodity in town where he is just causing problems and they're not sure what's going to happen. Jesus walks in, he sees a guy a distance away, right around where you're at, sir, right there, yep. And, and he go, and he's notices that he has a, a deformed hand. And so Jesus says to the man from across the room, hey, come here. And I love those words, come here. And I imagine Jesus saying them to me every day of my life. Come here. So the man walks across the synagogue and the crowds begin to get more silent. Jesus asks this kind of a rhetorical question just to get the crowd stirring a little bit. As the man comes closer to him, he looks down at his hand and we'll go to uh, verse five. He looked at them, he looked around at them and with anger, he's grieved at the hardness of hearts. People did not want him to do this. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretches out his hand and his hand was restored, was healed. And at that next moment, the Pharisees erupt in anger and they begin to hold meetings about how they're going to take Jesus down and how they're going to take him to his crucifixion many uh, days from then. But we experience this moment where Jesus heals the man's hand. And if you actually read throughout the Gospels, a majority of the healings that Jesus performs, guess what? They take place on the Sabbath. What does that tell us? The Sabbath is a day of healing. The Sabbath is a, a day of, of healing. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter healing. And so this is the concept. Jesus releases us from the law of rest to the hope of rest. And there's so much more that I could say about the hopes of rest. In fact, I've got a list here. We'll put it up on the screen. This is a picture of, of what Sabbath is. If Sabbath is, this is the hope of Sabbath. The hope of it is, it's a time, right? We saw in Genesis, not a place. It's a taste of eternity. It's a foretaste of eternity before us. It's a reorientation for our heart. It's a posture of, of worship before God. It's rest, it's it's a posture of celebration. Friends, you know how to celebrate. Every Christmas, Easter, whatever, if someone's birthday, anniversary, you know how to get the best dishes out, the, 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 the placemats, the whole nine yards. You know to buy the nicer tri-tip when it's a celebration, right? We know how to celebrate. And I want to stretch our minds and start thinking about that right now. It's a time where we experience deep connection with God the Father and with our family and with our loved ones. This is a picture of what Sabbath is throughout scriptures. And now some of you are like, gosh, I thought Sabbath was just like a time you fast, you don't drink, you don't eat, you pray all day and you read scripture all day. I'll tell you, that's why I wasn't signing up for it, Dave. This is a picture of the, the why behind why we, why we Sabbath. But I'll say this, Sabbath isn't just rest from work, it's, it's also from our toil, 
I want to invite you, friends, to consider today what a Sabbath in your life would look like. And I would push you to say, it's also a break from worry and anxiety. I know you go, that sounds really easy, Dave. Thank you. For, look, here's the deal. I'm not trying to tell you never to worry again. You just worry the next day, okay? Save all your anxieties and feuds and fears for Monday. But I want to challenge you and invite you. God's saying in Matthew chapter 11, 28, it's a profound invitation that Jesus brings us. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is the invitation. Sabbath has, has moved from simply being a command and an idea to now being embodied in a person that we can go to in the person of, of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, these last two weeks has challenged me in a, in a much more radical way where I more deeply desire Sabbath and I don't know why for so long I've avoided it. I think I've just kind of talked myself into Sabbath moments that I take. But God began to challenge me over these last two weeks, like what would it look like, Dave, for you to really set apart some time? And so for me, I have started in the last two weeks, done 24 hours, and I'll, I'll talk to more about that. But I want to just continue to break down a picture of what Sabbath can look like for you, much more practically, because I had to stretch my brain and through some reading. Let's just get real practical. Sabbath might be sleeping in for you. Some of you are like, that sounds great. Long walks, great wine, good barbecue, naps, sex. Yes, you can have sex on Sabbath. It's prayer. It's scripture. It's coffee with friends. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of, of playing games. It's a downshift in your life. It's a time of, of reading. Here's the tool for Sabbath. It, it, like, is it life-giving? And does it put me in a posture to appreciate God? Is it put me in a posture to, to steward my body and my mind in a way that worships and honors God? That's how you know it's Sabbath. Like, don't, let, don't let someone be a Pharisee in your life and tell you all the do's and don'ts. It's a little bit of a gray area. God didn't do that. For example, for some of you, gardening might be a part of your Sabbath. Tending to the soil, planting some beautiful flowers, might be how you connect and refuel with the God who, who planted us, right? But for me, it would feel like punishment to garden on the Sabbath. <laughs> I want to stretch our minds and what it looks like. And so the last two weeks, since I was reading and studying, preparing for this moment, I go, gosh, Katie, to my wife, I go, I've been missing this. I've been missing the invitation to Sabbath. And so I, I said, I have to be intentional if this is actually going to stand a chance in my life. And so I jotted down a list of four things, four conversation points that I wanted to have with my wife. And she goes, Dave, remember like for like two years on New Year's Eve, I said, we should probably think about a Sabbath. And I'll be honest with you, I never gave it a lick of thought. But I jotted down these four things in a journal with my wife. I said, hey, when are we going to do this? Let's just talk. If we were to try this out, floating with the idea, when would we do it? And we decided it's going to be Thursday sundown to Friday sundown. I take Fridays and Saturdays off. So that, that worked out well for our rhythm. Maybe for you, it's like three hours or 12 hours. Look, don't let me, don't let me tell you how to do it right now. I, my encouragement to you would be maybe take a picture of this and have a conversation about what it would look like to, to step into this. I said, Katie, let's talk about the why. I, if this just, you know, turns out to be 24 hours, I feel like an amazing vacation. That's great. I'll repeat that with you. But I don't think that that's the goal of Sabbath rest. Because when I'm reading the scripture, I want deeply for us. I want deeply for myself. And so we talked about, hey, it's going to be a time where we honor God. 
with everything we do. It's going to be a time that we celebrate God's faithfulness in our life. And so when we started Sabbath, the last two weeks, we talked about what are we celebrating? Where have we seen God be faithful to us? We talked about how it's a time of healing. And my wife asked me, she goes, Dave, do you need healing anywhere? I said, actually, I think I'm feeling pretty good right now. But let's go on. Let's celebrate God, right? It, what's the why of your Sabbath? And then the last two, what are you going to lean into? We leaned into to walks, to reading, to incredible food, to let's, let's have a feast, to great relationships and conversations. We'll start and end with a, a prayer reading. We've got this prayer book on our shelf. We pull it off the shelf. We read the prayer. It centers our hearts. Spend a moment with the Lord, and we invite him to shape this 24 hours, and it's been revolutionary. And then we have a conversation. Hey, what are we going to pause during these 24 hours, maybe for you it's 12 hours or five hours, what are you going to pause that's going to threaten you from the hope of what you have? And so for us, it was, uh, we're going to pause keeping our phones on us. They're not going to be out the window. We're just going to put them in one part of the house and visit them a few times a day to check in, make sure there's no, there's no big issues. We talked about how we're going to pause Amazon because that's like a vortex in and of itself. We talked about pausing TV and shows and movies. Just why? Because I want to create more margin for us to See how God would impact us. And so I'll encourage you to talk about what you're pausing. Now, here's the deal. I challenge you, friends, to think about stepping into this with your life. And here's how you'll know you're doing it right. You'll finish your time of Sabbath, and you'll already be thinking about your next Sabbath and desiring it. And if you're not, I'll tell you, you're probably approaching it wrong. Because this should be such a glimpse into eternity, so beautiful and so weight-releasing that that one day or one segment changes the rest of our week. It changes, one day can change the other six days of our week. And we remind ourselves that this encounter with Jesus doesn't just stay in one day in one time, but it goes with us now into the rest of our weeks. Jesus became the manifestation of Sabbath with us. But you know what his statement was while he was, uh, while he was derailing the idea of law? He still said it very clearly. Sabbath was made for you as a gift and an invitation. And we think back on God's example, we think back on the, the commandment to remember and to keep the Sabbath, friends, that's my encouragement to you right now, right here this morning. Would you consider keeping a Sabbath principle, a ritual in your life and see how God meets you in that? I'll end with this, with the Saint, uh, Saint Dan Cathy, 1967, he founded this little organization called Chick-fil-A, and they decided that on the seventh day, they would observe the Sabbath and they would rest. Everybody watching thought, well, there's a good losing recipe. They'll be done in three years when they burn through their capital. Well, they made it through those first three years, and God continued to be so faithful to their company that they began to grow. And uh, to this day, they continue to respect and observe the Sabbath even on painful moments, like when the Super Bowl is held in the, the city of their headquarters, in the stadium in, in Atlanta, Georgia, the stadium, the Super Bowl is held there. They have a Chick-fil-A on Super Bowl Sunday, and they were closed for Super Bowl Sunday. But you know what's interesting? They're not super legalistic about it. Like the Super Bowl doesn't qualify for opening up, but when a natural disaster hits different parts of the United States, you know what happens? Chick-fil-A opens up when it means they can provide food for people in need on their day, the Sabbath day, Sunday. It's this beautiful picture. And you're thinking, yeah, I see the one in Folsom. They're doing okay for themselves. Cute, cute story. 
Friends, they're not just doing okay for themselves. They are the third largest fast food chain in America, right behind Starbucks and McDonald's. Isn't that amazing? Their faithfulness to lean into the Sabbath, God does something remarkable within it. And that's the invitation for you and I today. So friends, we're going to go towards a moment of communion where we're going to remember that God said at the right time, he gathered disciples and he says, hey, I want you to remember me. Remember my life being given for you, that you have access to a deep and abiding rest in my son, Jesus. Jesus says through me. And so if you're new, we take these uh, cups and there's some juice in it that represents the blood of Christ shed for you. And there's a wafer on top that represents the body of Christ broken for you. And every time we, we partake in these at the end of service, it's a chance for us to pause. It's a, it's a Sabbath moment for us to reset, to relinquish the fears and worries of the world behind us and to come before Jesus in this moment. So let me pray for us while we have communion. God, thank you. Thank you for your gift and invitation to rest in you. And God, I pray for those that might be like myself who thought, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford the time to take a Sabbath. God, I pray that maybe we would realize, can we afford not to? Lord, right now, would you stir in our hearts and our minds, and Lord, would you equip us to live our lives differently than the world expects? And God, would you meet us in these moments right here? We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.